Good morning. Morning. As we continue in our series of the book of Genesis, turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. As you turn there, there was one verse that I thought of this morning that we could just open up with. You don't have to turn there. Uh, but it's found in Joshua chapter 1, uh, verse 8. Uh, it's interesting that pretty much from time before that, right, if they were to pass anything along, it would usually be verbally they would pass things along. But it seems as if now there is some things that are written down, right? You have the book of the law. And here in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, just before they're about to cross the Jordan, and enter into the promised land. They're given instructions here. They say, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do all according, uh, to, according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You know, that book of the law, very much uh, as they were to read it and to meditate on it, Genesis was part of that. <laughs> Genesis was very much a part of that. And so here you have the people of God so long ago as they were to enter into this new land, this new experience that God had for them. The encouragement there was, hey, listen, as you're reading Genesis, as you're, as you're looking at that, listen, meditate on these things. Follow these things. And you know what? I promise that I will make your way prosperous, that I will give you success. Okay? And so that's what we're doing now, right? Thousands of years later, we're here we are looking at the book of Genesis again. And the same is true for us as well. And so, Lord, the Lord will bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the Lord Jesus. We also thank you, Father, for thy Holy Spirit. And, Father, we also thank you for your precious word. Thank you for giving us these things to us. They are so wonderful. And may we never take them for granted. Lord God, we are thankful for an assembly here in North Brantford. We're thankful for the opportunity to hear you from your word. And so, Lord God, we just again ask that uh, you would bless the reading and the teaching of your word uh, this morning. Uh, we're thankful for how living and active it is. We're thankful for how powerful it is. Um, and again, we would just pray that we would not leave here uh, impressed at all by anything that we read or hear, uh, but that we would be changed uh, this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have the uh, chapter 21 today, only 34 verses. All right, so here we go. The first point uh, we're going to make today is Sarah rejoiced in the son promised. Okay, Sarah rejoiced in the son promised. Look at verses 1 through 7. It says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. You recall this, right? We already learned this back in chapter 18, I think it was, where God said, listen, at this time next year, Sarah, you will have a son. And guess what? God did it. He did it. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. They say Sarah was probably around 90. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Or literally means God, 
made laughter for me. And all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. In case you're wondering what the answer to that is, who would have said to Abraham? No one. No one would have said that. At 90 years old or 100 years old, right? No one would have said, hey, listen, Sarah's going to be nursing children next year. Okay? No one would have said that. And here is Sarah, right? And so I love this here that they name him Isaac, right? Which means laughter. And here even Sarah, her testimony, right, is that um, God has, as she says, made laughter for me. The promised seed, right? Guys, this is the one that God had promised. This was the promised one that God had promised to Abraham and Sarah has now come, has now come. All those times, all those years they had waited, and now Isaac is born, right? God gave Sarah joy, gave her joy, okay? You remember her laughter of unbelief. Do you remember that, right? Remember when the angel of the Lord and the two other guys came by and was talking to Abraham and she was overhearing? And they said, hey, listen, this time next year, Sarah's going to have a wife. And she laughed. She said, are you kidding me? Yeah. Her laughter of unbelief was now changed to rejoicing through the provision of her son. And everyone would hear about this. Everyone who heard about this, Sarah says, is also going to rejoice. They're going to laugh too. And they're going to rejoice with her. And I couldn't help but think this morning, right? Uh, I hope you heard when I was trying to emphasize this. It's amazing, right, that Isaac was born just as God said, just as he had spoken, right? We've seen that all through Genesis. Greg brought it up beautifully in the very first chapter of Genesis, right? What God says, he does. God speaks things into existence. And here you have a man 100 years old, a wife 90 years old, and God said, I'm going to give you a son. And guess what? He did it. He did it. It made me think also, we read in Genesis, right, chapter 3, that God also made another promise, right? He promised that there would be the seed, right, of the woman. There would be that one who would come, right, from Abraham's line. But the one he was talking about was that Messiah, right, that Savior that he was going to send. And you know what the Bible says? It says, and when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law. Man, God did what he said. Just as God had spoke way back in Genesis chapter 3, thousands of years later, God did it. He did it. And that should cause you and me this morning to laugh, to rejoice. And you know what? And we've seen the evidence of that over the years, right? As others have come to hear of this one whom God had promised, who has come and has saved people from their sins, they rejoice too. But even as I thought about that, I thought, wow. I was like, God certainly has made laughter for us, hasn't he? God certainly has brought us joy. God certainly has caused us to rejoice. But God has also spoken something else, hasn't he? I don't know where you're at this morning, right? But I love the words of our Lord in John chapter 14. It says, listen. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
If your heart is troubled this morning, listen, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my house, my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, guess what? I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be there also. Just as God has spoken that, guess what he's going to do? He's going to do that. Just as he said to Abraham and Sarah, listen, this time next year you will have a son. God did it. Just like God said, hey, listen, I'm going to send a savior. He did it. God also said, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to be with me forever. He will do it. He will do it. You know, it's amazing in that conversation, the, the disciples said, well, God, listen, where is the place that you're going? And we don't know the way. He says, you know where I'm going. He says, and you do know the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Through me. So I want to encourage you this morning, again, church, if nothing else this morning that I have to say to you is this, is God has made laughter for you. God has given you a reason for joy. God has given you a reason to rejoice. No matter what troubles you're going through, right, know that God sent that seed, that promised one. And he has forgiven you of your sins if you've put your faith and trust in him. And not only that, but he is coming again to receive you to himself so that where he is, you will be with him forever and forever. Praise God. And so Sarah, we see, rejoices in the son promised, right? But then we see Hagar removed with her son permanently. Look at verses 8 through um, 14 here. And so the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, that's Ishmael, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. You know, he, was, he was mocking. So they say right now is Ishmael might be about 15 years old, and uh, Isaac is about five years old. All right, so we've had some time that's passed here, and Sarah sees this, right? sees this mocking that's going on, this scoffing. And therefore, she says to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. And the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. You imagine you have a 15-year-old son. It's your flesh, right? This son wasn't Sarah's. Remember the whole plan, the scheme they came up with? Hey, why don't you go into my maidservant? Hagar and bear a son. Maybe that's how God's going to give us this promise. And we've already been through that. Right? But this is Abraham's son. And so clearly he's displeased. But God says to Abraham, listen to this. Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed you know uh, you've probably heard this many times before but the old testament right is the new testament concealed the new testament is the old testament revealed we cannot if you were to just read this story one you might think man that's pretty harsh right or maybe you might think this is just some kind of trivial story again in the life of abraham and sarah and things like that but if we did not have galatians Right? We would not know the significance of this chapter. So turn, please, to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Let 
We're going to spend here a little time in Galatians chapter 4, because otherwise we wouldn't understand the verses that we just read, or the significance of them. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Paul here writes to the church of Galatians, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And so here, law in this verse is used in two different senses. The first one here, right, when he says, you who desire to be under the law, right, here that refers to the law as a means of attaining holiness, right? The, the do's and the don'ts, right, all the rules, right? But there's a second law here. He says, if, if your desire is to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And that second one, the second word for law, there is actually referring to the Old Testament books of the law, the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy, right? And so here's pretty much what Paul is asking. He's saying, all of you who are trying to obtain favor with God, right, by law keeping, have you not read Genesis? That's what he's asking. He's saying, have you not read the Old Testament? In verse 22, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. The two sons are who? Ishmael and Isaac, right? The bondwoman is who? Hagar. And who is the free woman? Sarah. Okay? Ishmael was born as a result of Abraham and Sarah taking matters into their own hands. Right? The works of the flesh. They brought the law into their house, thinking that they needed to do something to bring about God's promise. But Isaac didn't come that way, did he? Isaac came, right, or was given to them by the promise of God. Look at verse 24. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. You see, the covenant given at Sinai produced slavery. Thus, Hagar, who was a slave girl, She's actually fitting for this type of law, isn't she? Hagar represents Jerusalem, the capital of the Jewish nation, the center for all the unsaved Israelites who were still seeking to obtain righteousness by keeping the law. These, together with their children, their followers, are in bondage. That's what Paul's saying. Can you imagine their reaction Right? Imagine whoever brings this letter to the church of Galatia and they're reading this. I wonder if he kind of like paused as he was reading. Because literally Paul is saying, hey, he's linking them with Hagar and Ishmael and not Sarah and Isaac. He's saying, you guys are like them. Look at verse 25. From this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Okay. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother 
of us all. And so the, the story has a deeper meaning than it appears, doesn't it? Okay. The true story of Isaac and Ishmael represents a deep spiritual truth, which Paul now proceeds to explain. Right? These two women, they represent two covenants. Hagar, the covenant of the law, right? And Sarah, the covenant of grace. The law, it says, was given at Mount Sinai, which I think is interesting is that the word Hagar in Arabic actually means rock. And Arabs called Mount Sinai, guess what they called it? The rock. The rock. And so she's fitting for this type here, right? But the capital city of those who are justified by, by, by faith is what he calls the heavenly Jerusalem, the one from above, right? It is the mother of all believers, both Jew and Gentile, Paul says. And then in verse 27, you see he quotes Isaiah 54, verse 1. It says, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. And so Sarah is the one who is barren, right? Remember that? Her womb was dead. If it wasn't for God's miraculous intervention, Hagar is the one who has a husband. It means that the children of promise, right, include all those Jews and Gentiles who come to God by faith. And he's saying that it's going to be many more than the children of Hagar who abide by the law. And then look at verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. It's important for us to understand True believers, those of you who have trusted in God by faith, right? Uh, um, saved by grace through faith, right? He's saying, that, listen, we are born not of the will of man. We're not born of the will of the flesh, but we are born of God, right? It is not natural descent that counts, but divine, miraculous birth by faith. In the Lord Jesus. Does this, this story start to make sense a little bit now? Right? Look at verse 29. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Okay? Hey, it may not seem like a big deal that Ishmael was mocking his little brother, right? Hey, okay? He's a teenager. What else are you going to do? You're going to mock your little five-year-old brother, right? Okay? But no, Scripture records it, right? It is a principle that still abides today, and that is the enmity between the flesh and the spirit. This is not a trivial thing, guys. This is a big thing. Okay? The fact that it's recorded in Genesis, and then Paul brings it up again here in Galatians, says, hey, listen, that is a picture there. When he mocks his brother, it's showing that the, the animosity, the enmity between these two, they do not coexist, or nor should they. Okay? We read in actually Galatians chapter 5, right? Later on, uh, Paul will go into that, right? Where he says, listen, we are to walk in the Spirit, not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, right? That the, the, the flesh, it wages war against the Spirit. To this day, brothers and sisters, spiritually, there's a war going on between the flesh and the Spirit. And it started way back with Ishmael. And Isaac. And that's what Paul is bringing out here. This principle that still abides. The enmity between the flesh and the spirit. 
In fact, in Romans chapter 7, here's what Paul says. He says, for I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Now again, this is the Apostle Paul saying this, right? For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, <laughs> warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of this New Testament, man, what a testimony, right? If you're struggling with sin and you're struggling with the, the, the flesh there, guess what? You're not alone, <laughs> okay? Paul says, man, I can't get over this. He goes, what I don't want to do, I do. What I'm supposed to do, I don't do. He's like, I am wretched. He goes, one thing I've come to conclusion, there's evil within me. This is the Apostle Paul. And we have to recognize that. Listen, every time we let that selfishness creep in, every time we let those other things creep in, we got to acknowledge it as, wait, that's the flesh inside of me. But we also have the Spirit of God in us too. Right? And we need to yield to Him, right? Be controlled by Him. Or we'll allow that flesh to take over. And in verse 30, he says, Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Hey, that's what we just read in Genesis. Right? Paul says this pretty much. He goes, if you have a problem with this, he goes, then appeal to the Scriptures. That's what he's saying to the church of Galatia, and I would say it to you today. If you've got a problem with this, hey, Paul says, hey, read the Bible. Okay? Read the Scriptures and hear God's verdict, he says. He says, once the promised child was received, and that's the key, right? You remember Hagar before she left with Ishmael, and God met her and said, hey, go back. Wait a minute, God, why is it different now? Why are you telling Abraham, hey, listen to Sarah now, get rid of her. What's the difference? Well, now the promised son is here now. Okay? And that's the big difference. Okay, Once the promised child was received, Abraham and Sarah, rejoicing in God's miraculous provision, had to avoid any possible threat to Isaac's inheritance. Because God chose one son, his choice had to be protected. Abraham and Sarah had brought the law into their house when they decided to conceive with Hagar. And now God's saying, you need to remove it. Abraham and Sarah had to get rid of Ishmael. Those are brothers and sisters. I don't know what it was like before, before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But for most of us, and for most of the world today, right, they feel like, you know, somehow keeping the law, somehow doing more good than bad, that's how we will obtain God's favor. And we know that's false, right? It's only by faith 
in Jesus Christ, right? We are saved by grace through faith, right? It is a promise of God. But sometimes we still do it, don't we? Sometimes we think, you know what? I've been doing a lot more bad things than good things lately. I don't know if God is with me right now. Right? We play this game all the time in our minds, right? Or we even think, you know, I'm a good Christian because I come to church every Sunday. I read my Bible for five minutes every morning. And I haven't sworn all week. And so I'm doing good. No, no, that's keeping the law. Listen, brothers, just do not miss what Paul is saying here in reference to the story that we are learning today. Law and grace cannot be mixed. Cannot. It is impossible to inherit God's blessings on the basis of human merit or fleshly effort. You cannot do it. Spiritual blessings can be obtained, cannot be obtained on legal principle. That's what Paul is saying here. That cannot happen. Don't be mistaken. Verse 31, he finishes with this. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, praise God, but of the free. Okay? Those who have trusted Christ have no connection with the law as a means of obtaining divine favor. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have any connection with that anymore. None of that. Okay? You are born of the free woman. Okay? Ishmael was born by the flesh through the slave girl. Isaac was born by the promise and was the heir. And so you see here that Hagar was removed with her son permanently. There is no keeping them around, guys. You need to cast that out. Those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Savior, cast that thinking out right now. If you think for some reason right now that you can obtain favor with God by some kind of human merit or fleshly effort, you are wrong. You need to cast that thinking out right now. But turn with me back to Genesis chapter 21. So Sarah rejoiced in the son promised. Hagar is removed with her son permanently. And then we see God responding to a son's prayer. Genesis 21 beginning in verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. And then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. And then she went and sat down across from him at a distance, about a bow shot. Okay? For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy so she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And so they're, they're, they're going to die of thirst. They're out there, ran out of water. And here she literally puts her boy somewhere and goes sit so that she doesn't have to watch her son die. Verse 17. And God heard the voice of the lad. That's interesting, right? Here's Ishmael, maybe 15 years old, like I said. He, he's so weak, it sounds like his mom has to push him under this brush or something out there in the desert. But in that moment, he's crying out to God. 
He's crying to the God of Jehovah. And the angel of the Lord, the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and she gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. There's a lot of things we could bring out here, but one thing that just struck me was that God heard the prayer of the lad. And he wasn't even a Jewish lad, right? But God heard him, right? It's interesting, the, the name Ishmael means God hears. God hears. And twice in verse 17, we hear, uh, we read there that God heard the voice of Ishmael. You remember the time where Hagar went before when she was out in the desert, right? One of the things that stood out to her was what? That God was the God who sees her. Here she comes to a realization that God is also the God who hears as well. Isn't it amazing we have a God who sees and hears? But I want to encourage our young people today too, 15, 16, 17, right? Even younger, right? That God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers. And you should be encouraged to pray. Encouraged to pray. I know for... um, my family, there was one time I took my little girls fishing and uh, went out in the boat and then I came back and put my, uh, my trailer into the, um, back into the water, put the boat back on the trailer, went to start the car and the car wouldn't start. For the life of me, I could not figure out what was going on. And uh, so my girls... Uh, they were with me. They were they were a little concerned. Here we are stuck, and it was actually getting dark. It was it was as the sun went down, and uh, so to make a long story short, I had called my brother to come out uh, to the lake for me. I said, "Listen, just bring uh, some gas for me. It sounds like it's out of gas, but I don't I don't know." Um, so as you brought some gas, I was able to put some gas into uh, the tank. Come to find out that my tank was so low that when I, you know, went down the ramp. I wasn't able to start the car because there wasn't enough gas in there. Okay? But once I was able to start it and get back on the level ground, get to a gas station. But one of the things that, that struck me so great was that my little girls, they said, Daddy, we were praying in the van. And for them, they thought, God heard us. They said, God heard our prayers. Uncle James came, gave us some gas. We were able to get going. And so it's important for us to know and encourage you to pray. God hears. God hears. We were at uh, Lydia's wedding last May. And uh, Trey had driven his own car there. The wedding's over. We're obviously cleaning up. And Trey can't find his keys anywhere, his car keys. And we're up in Waterbury. And uh, so sure enough, we're looking through everything. We're, we're trying to see, because his car's locked, too. We're, we're trying to look inside the car to see if maybe the keys were locked in the car. Uh, can't find the keys anywhere. And um, so I can't remember how, how you got home, but. I don't remember that part of the story, but somehow we were in the van. Everything's done now, and what we decided was uh, we were just going to all drive home together, and then Trey was going to have to come back out early the next morning, uh, and I think maybe we had another set of keys or something. I can't, I can't remember, but all I remember is uh, I think I had prayed 
I had prayed, you know, I had prayed numerous times that, that evening that God would provide the keys. But I still remember specifically Elijah sitting in the back of the van as we're flying. He goes, hey, Dad, listen, before he goes, he goes, I'd like to pray. I said, okay, Elijah, you can pray. And so Elijah prayed that, uh, that we would find the keys. Just as, as Elijah said, amen, my phone rang. And uh, one of Devin's family, my, my, my daughter's son-in-law, had mistakenly taken Trey's keys. And they were in Groton with his keys, but that was a whole other story. But I just thought, at least for me, I was like, you know, God, if you don't hear my prayers, I know you hear the prayers of my son. There's something about a lad's prayer. Here, it's interesting, right? The angel of God says, Hagar, listen, God has heard your, the lad's prayer. There's something about God's ears. It's bent low to, to young people. Just more, even more recently, uh, we're at a stage, right? Some of you have been there already where you have older kids and now they need cars. And uh, so um, with Trey, I mean with uh, Lydia, we're very thankful. In fact, Rob and Nina are here. I'm not sharing this just because you're here, guys. I'm not. Um, but Lydia needed a car. She was going to be living in, uh, over in Groton, going to school in Norwich. And uh, Rob and Nina had a, a, um, a Honda Pilot. And they said, hey, listen, we're willing to, to give it to, uh, to Lydia for 500 bucks, something like that. And we're like, wow, man, that's really nice. Thank you. Um, and she still has that car today. It's a great car. And so now, you know, years later, we're here, now we're here at Anna. Anna has her license. She's going to camp this summer for the whole summer. And we're praying about whether or not, you know, God could provide a car for her. And uh, we get a text from uh, Nina's sister and her husband. And they say, hey, listen, guys, we have this Honda Accord. Um, it's, you know, they're getting a minivan because they're adding to their family. And uh, we actually went to the dealership, and they're willing to give us $1,000 for it. But we wanted to check with you and James first and make sure you, none of your girls need, need a car. It's like, okay, wow. So, uh, you know, through conversation with my brother and something like that, we decided, yeah, we, would, we actually would love a car. We've been praying for this. And so I, I talked to uh, my cousin's husband, Dan, and I said, listen, Dan, I said, you know what? We'd be very interested in this car. I said, um, you said in the text that they'll give you $1,000. Is that what you're asking for, $1,000 for the car? He goes, oh, no. He goes, for you guys, $500. Now you might think, oh, that's a great deal, right? But my daughter doesn't know any of this, Anna. And uh, so when we, we told Anna, Anna said, Dad, you're not going to believe me. But I, because of what happened with Lydia, I was praying to God specifically. I said, God, would you give me a car from a family member for $500? I said, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But I want us to see here that God heard the prayers of this lad. Right? God heard him. And I want you to be encouraged today to pray. Because God does hear, especially young people here. Okay? Do not neglect prayer. Okay? Prayer is so vitally important. And then just the last part here, I only got a couple minutes here, but um, in the last part of this chapter, it's, uh, I named this point, Abraham routinely fulfilled the son's purpose. And when I say the son, I'm talking about the son, our Lord, right? Um, and I want to emphasize this idea of routinely. In verses 22 to 34, just for time's sake, we're not going to be able to read it, but um, Abimelech, who we've read about before, some people are not sure if it's the same Abimelech. I think it is. 
the king that we've read earlier uh, before, he comes to uh, Abraham. He wants to make a deal with Abraham, a, a treaty. Um, and um, in, in the conversation, Abraham says, well, listen, I got this well over here that your guys took from me. And Abimelech's like, hey, listen, um, I didn't even know about that. You should have told me. Not a problem. It's your well. Good. And so Abraham was here. Here's seven little lambs, you lambs. He's like, what's this for? He goes, this is to, to prove to you that that's my well. I dug that well. And he goes, okay, no problem. You know, uh, and so they actually um, make, make a pact. In fact, the place Beersheba here is called the well of the oath, right? Um, and so um, Abraham and Abimelech, they, he goes back to, uh, to uh, his area there. Um, Abimelech and uh, Fehol, which is his commander of the army, they return to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham now has this well. He's got this treaty with uh, Abimelech. And just the thing that, that just kind of the Lord laid in my heart this morning is this, is that sometimes when you read the Bible, you get the feeling that God majors in the spectacular, right? Like he spoke and the universe was created. Uh, he rained down fire and brimstone to destroy Sodom. Uh, he sent the plagues on Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He provided manna in the wilderness. He brought water from a rock. And all these things are true, and they are miraculous. They're wonderful, right? But the problem is that most of us don't live in that realm, do we? Right? Most of us, we don't live in the realm of spectacular. Okay? We live with daily, ordinary routines that characterize the greater part of our lives. Okay? We get ready for the day. Right? We rush off to work. We get the kids off to school. We shop for groceries, right? We pay bills. We mow the lawn. We maintain the household, right? And I don't know about you, but sometimes maybe you wonder, hey, how does God fit with ordinary people, right? I mean, after all, in the history of the church, not many of God's people have been able to speak to packed out stadiums around the world like Billy Graham, right? Most of God's people have been simple Ordinary folks who are not famous and who are not politically powerful. In fact, the, the prophet Isaiah kind of suggests three general experiences, right? In Isaiah 40, 31, it says, Those who trust in the Lord or those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, right? I'm reminded of the prophet uh, Elijah, right? You remember Elijah, he calls down fire from heaven. Calls down fire from heaven kills the prophets of Baal single-handedly, right? You might say, wow, that was like a soaring through the sky experience, right? Some people have experienced that. Most of us haven't, right? And then he says, not only do they soar, but those who run, right, um, shall not be weary. Run and shall not be weary, thank you, okay? And so if you remember that story of Elijah, right, after he kills the prophets of Baal, he runs back to where um, the queen was there, and it says that he actually outran the chariots. Like, what? That's something else, right? Right, and so maybe you have some of those experiences too in your life, right? Where, you know what? It's, it's miraculous, right? It's spectacular. But most of us don't, do we? You see, Isaiah says that those who wait in the Lord shall renew the strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. That's possible. They shall run and not grow weary. But, he says, they will walk and not faint. See, the hardest thing for us believers is, is that day-to-day -day walk. 
It's just the ordinary routine life, right? If we wait for great occasions in order to show our character, we utterly fail to do God's will, right? It is for us to make every occasion great by our faithful loyalty to his grace in our everyday walk, okay? The walking part is the hardest, <laughs> but I believe it's the most blessed. Now, as you think about Abraham's life, you should realize at this point that he's a fairly ordinary man, <laughs> okay? Except that, you know, he was a man of extraordinary faith, right? And obedience to God. His life wasn't made up of one spectacular event after another. Most days, Abraham got up, made sure his animals were cared for, dealt with problems like sick or straying animals, servants who had squabbles, finding enough water and food for his flocks and for his family. Maybe the one great miracle in his life is the one that we just looked at, the birth of Isaac in his old age. But other than that, Abraham's life is fairly routine. And yet, he was used in God's great purpose of blessing the nations through Abraham's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else in this last part. I want you to notice one phrase here that Abimelech says in verse 22. When Abimelech and Phihol, the commander of his army, spoke to him, they said, God is with you in all that you do. Wow. It was evident in Abraham's life that God was with him. Just the everyday, mundane, routine of life, Abimelech could still see and freehold their commander there. You know what? Man, it's clear that God is with you. And so if Abraham would walk with God, right, so that it was evident to others, he had nothing to fear. In fact, here in this story, God would provide security and protection. Remember, from the moment God called him out into a foreign land, what was uh, Abraham's plan? We learned this last week. Hey, Sarah, listen, wherever we go, tell him you're my sister. Okay? Because he was afraid for his life. Right? He wanted protection. He wanted security. And so Abraham was used to come up with his own schemes in order to provide that security and that protection. And here in this story, God says, hey, listen, I'm trying to show you, Abraham, that not only are they not going to take your wife, they're not going to take your well either. I'm going to provide security and provision for you but abraham had to walk with god in order to enjoy that and he walk in such a way that it was evident to those around him not only that right he would provide for his physical needs right here abraham brings up hey listen by the way i have a well and your guys took it from me guys hey no problem it's yours again so now god has provided for him in his physical needs as well not just security and protection but also his physical needs as well. And this is my last thought right here is this. God faithfully provides, right, for our protection and our provision so that we can fulfill his purpose. Did you get that? Okay, most of us here live ordinary, routine lives, but you are commanded, you are expected to walk with God in your everyday ordinary, mundane lives, and do it in such a way that it's evident to everyone around you that that person, God, is with them. Because when you do that, not only does God provide, right, for your provision, for your uh, protection, 
But what he's allowing you to do is fulfill his purpose, which is what every one of us wants to do, right? There are people who live rather ordinary lives except for one significant fact, that their lives count for eternity because they are used by God to help fulfill his purpose. You see, there's a profound satisfaction in, that is realized by the believer as he discovers more and more of the glories of God in his grace. The believer is ever learning. And from the moment of his conversion, in proportion to his faithful obedience day by day, God becomes better known in all the fullness of his revelation. These new experiences as they come are, however, not merely a matter of personal satisfaction, but they prepare the soul for still greater accomplishments. God's revelations are not mere luxuries for personal enjoyment, but they're given for the purpose of preparing the soul for fuller service and still clearer testimony for God. What we're going to see is how this new revelation of God, as how God provides for Abraham's protection, God provides for his physical needs, right? That this distinct preparation was for a crisis that was to come in his life. In other words, don't miss it. Chapter 21 is preparing Abraham for chapter 22. If you don't know what chapter 22 is, you better go check it out. God is going to ask Abraham to sacrifice his son. Oh, okay, Abraham. You said you've trusted me this whole time, and now I've given you the promised son. You know what? I think you're putting your trust more in your son than you are for me. So to just check to make sure that you still trust me above everything else, I'm going to ask you to sacrifice your son. And man, everything that's happening here in chapter 21 is preparing Abraham for that. It is the same today, church. God reveals himself more and more fully in order that we may be more and more thoroughly equipped for greater efforts in the kingdom of God. Listen, this morning, we have much to rejoice, right? God has made laughter for us, okay? Rejoice in the fact that the promised one came, right? Rejoice in the fact that he is coming again, right? But also know that the law and grace cannot mix. You need to cast out that bondwoman, okay? We are now children of the free woman, children of grace and of promise, but also, I want to encourage the young people here to know that God hears you. God hears you. Do not neglect praying. God hears you. And then as you go out about through your routine tomorrow, right, as you get up and you go to work and you get the kids ready for school and you cook dinner and you clean the house and cut your grass, do it for the glory of God, right? Do it knowing in a way, such a way that your neighbors, your coworkers, they say, man, God must be with you. Because who knows how God is using tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday to fulfill his purpose in you. He's got greater things even planned for you that right now he's working on these ordinary routine things in your own life so that he can use you for something even greater. Something else he's going to reveal even greater about himself to you in your life. It's an amazing thing to think about. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you again for the story of Abraham. Um, even though... Uh, Abraham was um, just kind of an ordinary guy. Uh, we also are, are grateful for just that he was a man of extraordinary faith and obedience uh, to you. And so uh, most of us here, we don't live in the spectacular. Um, 
we are also just kind of ordinary men and women. Uh, but we just pray that you would give us extraordinary faith and obedience to you. We pray that uh, our lives, as Abimelech said to Abraham, that they would see God in all that we do. Um, and so, Lord God, we again give you thanks for your precious word. Uh, we're thankful that for those of us who don't depart from it to the left or the to the right, we meditate on this and do all that is in it that you promised to give us success and that we will prosper wherever we go. We're thankful for that promise. We're thankful for your precious word. Um, we ask all these things, giving you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.